This episode of Bad Associations briefly mentions sexual assault and suicide, which may be upsetting to some. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bad Associations Podcast. On today's episode, I'll be talking to Ari. They got baptized in 2006 at 16 years old, but started questioning at only five during a family study. As with many of us, they quickly learned that questioning was not allowed without a consequence. One of the most peculiar part of Ari's story is that they went to a Jehovah's Witness private school that went from the grades pre-K to 12. I don't know about you guys, but I had never heard of a JW private school until this interview. They went into other topics such as how they met their partner, their partner faking that they were in the cult when they really weren't, the don't ask, don't tell policy within their family. Ari also makes a great point of mentioning that even if you don't believe the faith, the fear within the organization is still very strong. I love chatting with them and I hope you enjoy this interview. Tell me about the first memory you have of questioning the Jehovah's Witness faith. Uh, yeah, so I was one of those kids that had really deep thoughts uh, too early for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so my very first time that I remember having a questioning thought um, that I realized was a problem was probably around five years old. Um, we were doing family study, which at the time was just my mom and dad. And it was just like going over the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And it was the, um, after they got kicked out of Eden and, um, God puts the angel in front of the tree to keep them from eating of it again. And I got really hung up on the idea of, Adam and Eve eating of this tree good you know they didn't know they were naked and then they ate of the tree and then they knew all this stuff they didn't know before and so I got really hung up on the idea of this power being in the tree and that the tree of life that they were protecting that they couldn't eat of that if they just somehow were able to eat of the tree of life they could be immortal again um and Mm. how that was like like why was it that God had to protect the tree like couldn't he just like do that himself and I got really really hung up on that which my parents didn't know how to answer Um, yeah it's a loaded question to be fair (laughs) yeah and I remember that my dad just kind of came around to well you know some you're gonna hit these points where you don't have the answer for it and you just have to believe that you have to believe in Jehovah like you have to believe that he's doing the right thing and I was that kid that my my poor mother I feel bad for her in retrospect because I was that kid that because was not ever going to satisfy me. Like, mm-hmm. why is the sky blue? Because it's blue. That I didn't vibe with that. I always, why, 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 why? So I wasn't satisfied with that. And that was like the first moment that just kind of never stopped. Um, I eventually learned as I got older that there was kind of an expiration date on how many questions how much probing I could do without Mm. it being like a very bad like a punishable thing um so then eventually I didn't never stop having those moments of wondering like I never fully bought into it because it never lined up for me but I learned to be quiet about my questioning very early and I learned to just stop asking questions because I kept getting in trouble (laughs) 
And you're bringing questions to adults' minds that even they don't want to think about because they're realizing that there's holes in it. They're going to resent you because it's like, why are you pointing out this thing that I don't know the answer to? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And so did you have siblings? No, I'm an only child. Um, I was born to, so my, both sides of my family are completely, for the most part, witnesses for my living family. Um, my abuela, my mom's mom, she converted when my mom was about eight. She used to be Catholic. Um, and then she converted to the witnesses. And my mom was about eight or nine when she like, so pretty soon after um, my grandma converted, she got really into it because her dad, he had been involved in some gangs and stuff in, in LA. And there was some events that happened to them that were very traumatic. And once, um, it was one of those stories, right? Where like my abuela always said, there was this event. Um, after this event, they were seeking shelter out of a friend's house and the witnesses knocked on the door the next day, right? Like she was mm. praying all night, <laughs> you know, what to do about the situation with her husband. And then the witnesses came. And then after she started studying with the witnesses, my grandfather, changed you know he put on the new personality he became a totally different person he stopped doing drugs he got out of the gangs and so my mom really credited that change in her father to the witnesses and so for her it became the truth very very quickly um my dad at the same time was his his mother started studying too when she converted his father uh at that time was a very violent person Um, he was a violent drunk and he would take that out on my father he did not want like my my dad's father's thing was his wife could study with the witnesses and that was fine but his children would not be witnesses so for my dad he was very much an active rebellion against his father to study with the witnesses that's that's how he bought into it Uh, it was like my dad you know I have this thing with my dad and this is like a rebellion against him because of that, my dad was the one growing up that would be labeled, you know, spiritually weak um, because he was not very, he was not a good witness. He wasn't going to meetings. Um, to be very fair, he became disabled when I was around four years old and oh. that really impacted his mobility. And so he wasn't able to physically get to the meetings a lot. And he had a lot of issues in our congregation with elders who gave him a lot of grief about his physical absence, even though there was like the phone system. Um, Would he call in to the meetings at all? Yeah. And they didn't think that was good enough. That wasn't good enough. Um, And so that really shook his faith, which I feel is understandable. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But other, you know, witnesses, of course, that's not understandable. You're supposed to be like, oh, you have to be better than that. You know, you have to rely on Jehovah. Yeah. he, for the bulk of my upbringing, was the one that was really liberal, let me do, as pr- compared to some of my other friends that I grew up with, I got to do more stuff, you know, got to watch a bit more things that my mom was against, but my dad, as the head of the house, would override it. Um, and my mom was the one who was a lot more zealous for the truth. Um, she was the one that, you know, would push me in the stroller going door to door. Um, she was also more liberal until I was about 11 years old. Um, she had 
a mental breakdown. She was a manager at what was once LA Cellular and is now ATT. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And she was really great at her job and she loved working and she was away from home a lot. So she felt really bad. You know, she had that like um, almost that single parent mentality, even though um, she wasn't a single parent. My, My abuela, my grandmother, raised me for a good part of my life because before my dad was disabled he would um be he was nursing and and my mom was a manager so they were both away a lot so they would just drop me off at my abuela's house went on forever even past my dad being disabled um until my mom's mental breakdown so my abuela also was very spiritual she was in to my knowledge she still is um very you know like she had the fruits of the spirit on the fridge on magnets. <laughs> that's how I like, that's how she taught me the fruitage of the spirit, you know, that and like a, some song that she had either heard or made up about it. Oh my gosh. And like, you know, she would speak it to me in Spanish and English. And um, so she was in also taking me on, you know, door to door. So she was also, so my, my mom's side of the family in that was really strong. But at the same time, you know, as, there's kind of a pattern with like the women in my family being the ones that were super spiritual and the men being very like liberal because mm-hmm. my grandfather, um, my mom's father was, he owned his own drapery and dry cleaning business. So he could kind of set his own hours and stuff like that. And he had a lot of art passion. Um, like he did a lot of crystal wire wrapping and crystal art and stuff. And he would go drive off like every year to quartzite for these big rock and mineral shows and he had worldly friends and Um, he had worldly interests and no one really gave him a hard time about it i think because he had lived such a rough life before the truth he might have caught a little bit of slack with like well you know he's not doing drugs he's not in gangs yeah there's other extremes that he could be involved in other than jewelry right yeah and and so and like he also was like he loved movies he's the reason he showed me jurassic park when i was four years old much to my mother's just say <laughs> i loved it i spent the next like three years pretending to be a velociraptor uh-huh. um, but he was involved in a lot of things that like impacted me in a positive way i think critical thinking wise like exposed me to a lot of of thoughts and stuff that probably i wouldn't have had on my own um he and also my abuelo, uh, my abuelo Cruz, my my grandmother's father, he had this rule that I'll never forget, which I credit to being the reason the why I, I started thinking the way that I thought so young with regarding like religion and the cult and family and stuff. And it was, um, so he had five kids and all of those five kids, they started Catholic, they all went their own way into different religions and such. Um, so there was a lot of disagreement about who was right. Were they um, passionate? So they were passionate in like their Catholicism just as much as the Jehovah's Witnesses were. It wasn't just like they were Catholic, but you know, didn't really take it serious. Some of them were, some of them weren't. Um, and then all of them, st- to my knowledge, every one of them left Catholicism for a different faith. Um, so my, one of my tios, one of my uncles, um, I have this extremely vivid memory because, um, my grandfather, he had this rule that while you're in his house, 
family came first and we're going to have disagreements and that's okay but you were not to argue specifically about religion in his house and mm. like if you're going to argue about religion you're going to do it outside you can't stand on my lawn you're going to be on the sidewalk and you can have your argument on the sidewalk so everyone can see what a fool you're being but when <laughs> you are family when you get back inside you leave all of that outside and you love each other and that really i agree impacted me in a positive way um because i was never okay with the disfellowshipping thing like never right. did it sit right with me we had quite a few of them of, of them at my hall we had a, quite a few marked individuals at the hall that like they had been disfellowshipped and then reinstated but they were never treated the same no um we had one woman who her whole her i the only reason i believe she came back is because her whole family was in our congregation and she was the only one who was disfellowshipped and it was a rather large family yeah. uh, generational family and she had been disfellowshipped for being a lesbian and she came back she left her partner and she came back and no one ever wanted anything to do with her despite the fact that she was fully reinstated like they treated her like she and sacrificed her truth you know for the quote unquote truth and now she's living a lie and it's like they're still treating her exactly like a pariah that's crazy so i never that never set for a moment i was never comfortable with that and i expressed that when i was younger you know like because i've always been um a very honest person to a fault and, <laughs> uh, it was never any it was another thing where like they could never satisfy me with the answers they would give me because it didn't make logical sense to me i didn't understand why that was a rule it didn't seem loving um and my family always enforced it very strictly like my mother there was someone who was disfellowshipped and she had known this person i didn't know this person but she had and i remember we were walking cuz delay and you walk everywhere and um she like physically got me and like moved me to the completely other side like it was a two sidewalks and we were walking on the sidewalk and we like crossed the street and to proceed down because this person who had been this fellowship was coming towards us and she would not dramatic she would not even be that close to that person you know um or we visited Bethel when i was i think it, yeah like 11 or 12 it was this huge trip that we had had planned and on the way back when we were going through TSA um my mother had brought tons of publications back and one of the the agents the TSA agents had recognized them when they were like going through um the stuff out of the little the x-ray machine and they're like oh you're you know a witness and and she was like yeah and, you know she lit up she was very happy very excited and he's like oh yeah i used to be a witness but i'm not anymore and it was just a complete shutdown like she wouldn't look him in the eye she wouldn't speak with him just immediately just completely shut down um so she took it very very seriously when you witnessed that i shouldn't say witness because then it sounds very weird <laughs> the sentence but when you watched what the experience was for that witness that came back and left her partner and is now pretending to no longer be you know in the queer community did, were you of that age where you maybe you didn't identify yet as queer but did you know that you felt differently yourself i did i knew a lot of things very young that i just didn't have the language for um right i knew about my gender when i was very young i just didn't 
understand it it's one of those things like in retrospect I'm like oh this makes a lot of sense right <laughs> um I was very very happy as a child um I got bullied a lot but it was for things that didn't hit until later um I mixed I got bullied I was darker then and I got bullied for that I didn't understand that's what was happening because I went to a I went to a school that doesn't exist anymore should I give the name of the school or should I not I mean, go for it. I mean, because you're, you're, did you want to talk about the school that you went to? I know that that was part of your. Um... I was. I, I'm kind of hoping it helps other people. And yeah, I'm, dive right I'm also, in. I'm also curious if there's other schools like this. Like, I, I doubt. I've personally never heard of it, but also I do feel like, like every region is so different from the next. But I've never heard of like a private school that was run by a Jehovah's Witness. Never. Yeah, so I was um, enrolled at uh, Southwestern Longview Private School when I was four. Um, it's a pre-K through 12 when it existed. Um, so you could send your, your child there and you got your whole quote-unquote schooling. You got your high school diploma without ever having to interact with a public school, so worldly children. Mm. Um, there were prerequisites to it, like you had to have at least one guardian or parent that you lived with um one of them had to be an in good standing witness um and they had to be active in the hall or you would not be able to attend um it was a physical campus um there was an am pm it was very short like the am sessions were the pre-k through i want to say first grade and then the nine through 12 were together um, and then everyone else was afternoon and it was like 7 30 8 a.m to like 11 and then my break and then like I want to say like 12 45 to 3 or something like that for the afternoon so you weren't there very long it was very far from my house um, it was like an hour plus an hour to two hour drive <laughs> to get there um, but my my parents, it was more my mom that, that really wanted me in it. And I feel bad for her because her reason for that, I feel dreadful, honestly, for her because she, it was a very expensive school. It was a private school. They charged a lot for it. My parents, after everything happened with my mom, we did not have a lot of money. Um, uh. And I feel very, very badly that they managed to make people feel like this was a very safe place to send their their children based on the cult right based on the yeah. and we really needed that money for food <laughs> um but her whole reasoning for doing it was even less to do with the truth it wasn't that she wanted me not exposed to public school children she was terrified of of someone sexually abusing me she mm -hmm. was very very afraid of that and she was convinced that this putting me in the school would protect me from that she thought that that was like the safest place it could be um so i feel very badly for her because nothing happened to me but a huge part of the reason that school was shut down is because one of the teachers was arrested for that very thing yeah unfortunately there's just no safe perfect bubble in an imperfect world that just doesn't exist unfortunately um but yeah it was an interesting it was an interesting place um it was run by a, an elder and his wife 
it was the elder's wife who was actually the principal of the school. Um, so she was the one who business side did everything. Um, she was one of the teachers. Um, he was he taught a few of the high school classes, but he didn't really teach them. Some of the classes were literally like Bible word search. Um, and then there was an awake class where you just studied a, a like old copy of an awake and had to answer some questions of from the awake article. <laughs> that was it. Weird. Um, and that was a, like that was a class that we took was you know it was just labeled as Bible. Um, and then we also ended each day with a Bible reading from like the the old cassette tapes. You'd have to go to the auditorium, um, and the last like. 15 minutes you would have to sit there and and listen to the whatever the whatever the congregational bible assigned bible reading was that's what it was linked up to and after every day we would do that wow and like throughout since i've left the cult and i've like shared my story with personal friends um they'll say oh like do you guys have like your own schools and stuff i'm like oh no no we don't have that and now going forward, I'll have to be like, well, apparently, yes. I mean, not where I was, not anyone that I personally knew growing up, but apparently there was a private JW school all along. I had no clue. When did they um, close? So the campus side of it closed um, in 2007. Well, it was either 2007, 2008. My, I graduated in 2008, but I had, I and everyone who was gonna graduate that year, we didn't go to campus when school started. Uh, because it, the campus side completely shut down and they funneled us into the Park Ridge Private School, which I think is still there. Um, I don't think it's as large as it used to be, not that it was ever hugely large. When the campus was still going, it was only for all of us, it was like maybe 300 kids at the most um, from all the classes. And with the Park Ridge private I'm not sure how how big it ever was I, I worked for them for a time while I was going to school during the summer I would work at the Parkridge office which was just like one of those you know like if you've ever gone to a doctor's office that's inside like a suite style building yeah up that so our, our last year of high school for the class of 2008 we all got funneled into that and we just met once a week um and turned in our work um got our diploma wow that's setting the bar so high to think that like something messed up won't happen just because it's a private school with a bunch of Jehovah's Witnesses doesn't really mean anything yeah it, it well I remember when because I he didn't get that all we knew like we had I had told my dad hey this guy makes me uncomfortable because I worked with him oh okay nothing ever happened physically to me but he was a very, very prominent member of our, like, our, our local circuit. Like he was the son of a very, oh, what do you call it? Was a presiding overseer. Okay. So he was like very well regarded. His whole family was extremely well regarded. So this guy could, you know, he was an elder. He could do no wrong. Um, were these, I'm sorry to interrupt, but were these actual licensed educators, any of these people that worked for the school? Some of them were. Um, but not them, all of them. Some of them, but not all of them. Hmm. One of them was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Um, she 
did her best to give us an actual education. She taught math and history. Her history classes were incredible because um, she actually told us real events that actually happened. Love that. We could learn from that right now in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if what I learned in her history class is better than what I would have learned in a public school. Like, she Probably. was a very, very good teacher. And she was incredibly decorated. Like, she, I believe she had a PhD in mathematics. Wow. The only reason she was there because she could have taught anywhere and gotten a lot more money. Absolutely. Uh, but she was there because she was the caretaker of her parents and the the school, and she was also a witness, her parents were witnesses. The school, the way the school was set up with the hours allowed her to fill that take caretaker role a lot more um, comfortably. Okay. Um, so that was why she was there um, is because that, you know, it fit for her very, very well. Um, well, it's not a coincidence that, the, you know, you're saying the best teacher there is someone that has a thorough education on how to educate others, you know. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, another teacher that was just doing the Bible word search probably didn't even, you know, they might just have had a high school diploma, not really in a position where they should be teaching other kids anything. Yeah, he, yeah, you know, he would just sit in his chair, um, and this was, you know, the assistant principal, Um and he would just sit there and make sure we weren't talking. If he, if we did talk, he would get very angry. There was strange things that happened at that school. Like I've told this to my wife and they're like always aghast. Like they can't, know. <laughs> they're like, I know this happened, but like, this is so strange. Um, they were this, the two that owned the school, they were from Texas originally. And this brother had a bull whip and I, at some point, he never, to my knowledge, he never hurt anybody. Like he never hit anybody, but he did bring it out one time when people were playing basketball and like whip at them from afar. What in the world? <laughs> very strange. It was a very, it was a very wild, um, it was a very wild time. The, the kindergarten through 12th grade, um, there was a lot of, you know, we had like cotillion um, that she wanted to do for, for the younger. And then also for a time they would do a drama, like they would every year. And that was like a very like sought after class. Cause it was one of the like three electives that they would let you do because they did, we didn't of have course. a team or anything like that. Cause of course we didn't. No. Um, but we had electives and it was like art, which she taught and drama and drama was what everyone wanted to do because it was like the one thing that was like kind of not witnessy like you're still you're doing a witness play but it was like this sort of normalcy about it like other schools got to do you know plays and production right yeah it was like there was a lot of allure to that um, and we used to do those and then like at the end of of the school year there would be like an open house and like little performances and stuff but they kind of got away from that as the time went on <laughs> i shouldn't be surprised that there's a drama class but not like a normal drama class a drama <laughs> class isn't like a jw drama where they're putting on a bible story that's just oh, so on brand but you were saying i'm sorry for interrupting you were saying that you kind of had a vibe that that the son of the presiding order overseer you kind of had a vibe that something was off about him yeah it wasn't just me it was everyone um that i talked with that was in my class we 
talked amongst ourselves about it. Um, one of my friends outright, you know, said like, hey, you know, he gives me this kind of feeling. Um, he kind of made it like a joke because when you're like in sixth grade, you know, that's what a lot of kids do. Um, but there was a lot, I mean, there was a lot of things I witnessed firsthand because he also taught the health class. At least he taught the health class when I was going there. Um, and there was a lot of very inappropriate, not from a textbook things. Like um, we had a review for a test at one point, and it was multiple cho choice quests that he had, you know, come up with all this. I don't know where he got it from or if he made it himself. Um, one of the girls in our class started just laughing and she had one of those beautiful, like very infectious laughs, like, or she couldn't stop it, but it was just like, it makes you laugh because you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And he gestures to her and keep in mind, this is like sixth grade. Um, so this would be inappropriate no matter how old we were. Um, and he's like, and that is an excellent example of a spontaneous orgasm. And he's like, cheeks are flushing. Look at how radiant she looks. Look how like refreshed she looks. He's like, that's what a spontaneous orgasm is. And there is just so many times that things came up in class where discussions would get off track. They wouldn't have anything to do with health, but they would get very sexual. Um, and there was a lot of stuff like that where like, you know, we all had this feeling like this wasn't okay, but no one would take us seriously when we said anything about it because he was an elder from a very prestigious family. And so we were just making it up or being dramatic or maybe our parents just didn't want to deal with it. That's also a thing that could have happened. I remember when, cause when I found out that he had been arrested for, their, for that, um, I got a phone call from my dad and I had, this was after I had moved away and it was in 2016. And I remember- Wow, so many years went by before he was arrested, huh? Oh yeah, a long time. And um, I got this phone call from my dad and you know, my parents are back in California and I, I'm in Tennessee cause I had moved away. And it was like nine in the morning, which meant it was like 6 a.m. in California. So, I didn't pick up the phone because when my dad doesn't call that early and I was immediately the first thought I had because I had I was fading um, and I was like oh they found out you know this is it this is the end this is the moment <laughs> I'm not ready for it yet so I took like an hour to and he kept calling like he kept calling and calling and I'm like oh boy it is it is something like that yeah so I finally pick up the phone and he's like, hey, I need to tell you something. It's really important and it's really uncomfortable, but I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, okay. And he tells me, you know, this teacher, this is what happened and this is all coming out. And I just want you to know in case you get any questions and you know what to do, you can't talk about this. And I don't know what I'm gonna hit. My dad's big concern was, which outraged me because my first thing was, I told you, we all told you. And he's like, I know, I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's like, I just don't know what I'm gonna do when I go out in service because it's it's in the local paper. Um, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't know how I'm gonna tell people what I'm gonna tell people. And I'm, maybe don't go out in service. How about that? Yeah. And I remember <laughs> like, maybe um, that shouldn't be the first thing you're concerned about, Dad. Like maybe you should be concerned about the victims. Yeah. A lot of them. Um, and yeah, it was, but that's still, that was where, because my dad, um, 
so I mentioned earlier, you know, he was the spiritually weak one, but he became an elder um, shortly after I got baptized. When did you get baptized? So I was baptized in 2006. I was 16. Um, I remember listening to your story and then you talking about your baptism. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me because I, you talk about that moment of, of like, oh God, why did I do this? Yeah. I only got baptized because everyone in my congregation who was my age was or younger was already baptized. Mm-hmm. My best friend um, growing up, my she had a little brother who was like 11 or 10 and he got baptized and I knew when he got baptized that I was done because everyone was going to look at me and go okay well why aren't you baptized you're older than than he is yeah um and my mom my mom got diagnosed with cancer and she really that put a lot of fear in her I think of like um, what if yeah it became an increasing problem as I got older and wasn't baptized that I wasn't baptized she would cry she would have these very bad episodes and she would you know hug me and be like I just keep thinking what if I'm in paradise and you're not there and I just want to die all over again and I can't do that and please please oh that's so unfair to you to put that on you and the other thing that she would do um because she knew, I know she knew it was never real for me. It was never real to me. Um, it was never something I ever, I didn't have faith. I never did. I had fear, but I didn't have faith. Um, and if ever I started, you know, kind of teetering too much, she would tell me, you know, um, when Abuelo comes back, because he passed away when I was four, um, when he comes back, you're you might be the one that he needs you might be the one that preaches to him that he stays like you know when when they bring them all back before paradise um if you're not there to preach to him like that could be it and so there was a lot of like those thoughts that finally made me go ahead and get baptized even though i I remember when the elder came to my house to do the uh, the questions, thinking maybe I'll fail and I won't have to. <laughs> right. It's funny, though. You never hear of anybody failing those questions, huh? No, no. I feel like I could have said anything and I probably would have somehow passed as long as yep. I was smiling. So, um, and I remember, and funnily enough, this, this all ties in together. Um, the brother who baptized me was that same brother who was arrested from the school, the teacher. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I have, I have photos of that somewhere that I'll try to find. Wow. I don't even remember who baptized me, to be honest. I don't think I knew them, though, because it wasn't at, I don't know if you got baptized at, did you get baptized at an assembly or a convention? It was in... It was a smaller one, so I think that was an assembly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was did it at a convention. I feel like they're so large; they're just pulling elders from like oh, yeah. any congregation that's in that region, you know. So I, I don't think I knew really anyone that was in that pool. Yeah, it was uh, the smaller one, which I wish I had picked the convention because that was awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really bad. Um, and I got, funnily enough, I got so you know I got baptized on a Saturday. And then you have the Sunday and it was, it was Sunday after the assembly, my mom's brother, um, 
you know, we were all together at, at their place and he's going to make carne asada and he pulls me outside. He's like, Hey, come, come help me cook. And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause I always wanted to be with the men and uh, <laughs> I'm helping him cook, you know, which is really just like jabbing at the chicken and whatever. And he's like, so I'm going to, I'm going to have a talk with you. Um, and like, I, you know, I just want you to listen. And I was like, okay. Cause my uncle, my tío didn't talk to me ever. He was fun. You know, he was a fun, unruly one. He'd been in trouble <laughs> before. He didn't, we didn't have serious talks. Gotcha. But he pulled me aside and he had the only serious talk he'd ever had with me. And he said, um, when you get in trouble. And I said, I'm not going to get in trouble. So when? <laughs> when you get in trouble. He's like, when you get in trouble, cry and just admit to whatever they, they, you, they say you did and just be very, very sorry. Just do that. Just be very sorry and say you won't do it again and let it be that. And I was like, mm. okay, you know, whatever. Like, that's kind of weird. I got um, in extreme trouble less than 24 hours after that. Oh my God. <laughs> Wasted no time. <laughs> yeah, so um, I... Okay, so one of the things I was never allowed to do, never supposed to be doing, was being on the internet in general, but especially not being in chat rooms. Gotcha. Um, and my parents had parental controls set up on the computer to prevent that. But um, what they didn't know was that parental controls, when you set them up through a web browser, at least this is back in like 2003. I'm sure it's changed since then, but my parents used MSN. Um, I discovered that if you used Internet Explorer, it did not report your parental control activity. Oh, smart, smart. Okay. So they did know I was spending time on this website called Neopets, which was just this. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But I remember it. <laughs> yeah. So Neopets, you know, it's just this little virtual pet site. They did. It was like Tamagotchi, but on a computer. Yeah. It was Tamagotchi on the computer. You could take them around and feed them. They had mini games. They had flash mini games and you could like earn online currency and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but there was a chat room, which I wasn't allowed to use. And I had signed up with my actual age because my parents set the account up for me. And so they were reassured that I wouldn't be using the chats because it was locked to anyone under the age of 13. So in 2003, when I turned 13, it unlocked. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to use it because that's bad and I'm also not supposed to. Um, so, of course, I used it in like three seconds later. And <laughs> that is actually how I met my partner. Um, oh, I love it. <laughs> my partner, I went on what's called the role play boards, um, which is kind of where I started learning like I, I liked writing before then. I've always been like very creative writing focused. But I didn't know that there was a like a thing that people did online where they like create stories collaboratively together, little yeah. like short stories. So I met my wife on the role play boards and um, when I was 13 and they were 12 and we just like hit it off like so tight, so fast. And we were very, very close, like out of the gate, very, very close. We didn't realize we were falling in love with each other. Um, I yeah, never, well, you're 12 and 13, yeah. yeah. 12 and 13, <laughs> I had never had crushes. I had never like had those kinds of feelings. I had had, as I got older, I would have my friends at, at the school, they would assign me boys that I liked. Um, Interesting. 
I would get very angry about that because I didn't like the idea of someone saying that I was doing or feeling something that I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and um, they would take my like anger of like, no, I don't like so-and-so and getting like really upset about that as confirmation. Like I was just embarrassed and I didn't want to admit it. And it's like, no, I'm just very upset because yeah. it's true. Um, so I had never had those feelings at all for an actual person. Um, I'd had feelings and I was aware that I wasn't supposed to be having them for someone of the same sex because my mother was very homophobic and she was very very she was watching me to make sure that 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 wasn't something that was in me and I I used to be very angry with her for that um but I more more so now I feel very bad for her because she it became very evident through conversations that she shared with me that she had a lot of of self-hatred and curiosity herself and she was very afraid that she had infected me with that like she she was very afraid that she had passed that to me and that was kind of why she was very focused in on like watching to make sure that I wasn't like gay or trans or whatever which I am (laughs) but um she had when she was in her 20s she had gone and done witnessing in Costa Rica with a group of witnesses and two of those witnesses ended up being a lesbian couple that were witnesses but they were seeing each other and they were just witnesses because their family was in it Mm. um and my mom caught them um together and one of the two got very aggressive with my mother and then my you know my mom was just kind of standing there as she told it very surprised and shocked and this this aggressive um sister was like oh what do you like it do you want to try it and my mom was like no oh my god no and then um she's like you know I and then I felt so awful because for months and months I didn't say anything to the elders but I kept having these thoughts I kept having these thoughts and so I finally went and you know turned myself in to the elders and they told me that it was okay because it was just thoughts and I hadn't acted on it and all this kind of stuff so I know that while what she did to me was not right I understand where it came from yeah it's definitely projection and just a lack of understanding that it's not it's not like a contagious disease where they're like because she has thoughts like if if anything it's like coincidental it's you know what I mean like it doesn't really work that way so yeah she but she had and she had you know she got diagnosed with bipolar when she had her mental breakdown and she went through so much in the congregation um, because at that time, at least, I don't know if it's gotten any better. For people who are still in, I hope it has. Um, our congregation did not handle that well. No. Not, the elders at the time that were in the congregation were very cruel to her. They were not understanding. They, they basically told her it was her fault, like it was her lack of faith that she was having this issue at all. Yeah. Um, which I can only imagine that would be very devastating for her because she you knows she was so invested in the yeah and everything um, I think it's congregation by congregation based on just like my experience and the people I've spoken to on this podcast it's some congregations are very supportive of people taking care of their mental health especially like in modern day where we're way more open about our mental health yeah um and then other congregations even to today are just like like what your mom went through where it's why you wouldn't be going through this if you had better faith in Jehovah 
you know, if you were spiritual, if you weren't spiritually weak, this wouldn't be happening to you mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, so I knew, you know, and I started having these feelings for my partner. And at the time we were just friends, like one, I wasn't supposed to be talking to them because they're worldly. <laughs> right. Can't um, forget that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but it's funny because the first, you know, I talked about role play. The like very first actual, because we just talked for a while back and forth. And then the very first role play that we wrote together was, uh, you know, two gay characters having gay sex. Coincidence? I think yeah. not. <laughs> and, you know, either one of us talk or, you know, like go any further at that. But that was like, that was the thing that kind of got me through all of the really hard stuff in my life, like all the witness stuff, all the, the at home stuff the the abuse and stuff was like as soon as I got home from school I would just go to the computer and quote unquote play Neopet yeah so fast forward to you know my my TO had had this conversation with me about you know when you get in trouble and then I get in trouble uh my mom got into my laptop I don't know how to this day, I don't know how she figured out the password because I was I was very good about deleting search history, keeping it password protected, all that stuff. Somehow she got in there. What I wasn't good at, this was very foolish of me, didn't think it through at 16. Um, when we would role play, I would take, because we were role playing on, you know, chat room forms and those get deleted over time. Oh, right. Um, so I would take, you know, what my partner had wrote and what I had wrote and I would put it into a word document so it was all there and all saved oh no um my mom (laughs) so at 3 a.m so I'm baptized on Saturday Sunday evening my uncle's like hey when this happens and then it was like 3 a.m Monday morning and my dad broke like broke my bedroom door down um and screamed at me to get into the into the living room and in the living room was this it was about keep in mind we had been writing since 2003 this is now 2006 oh no like a printer paper you know when you buy yeah my my mom had printed out everything oh my god I'm so uncomfortable because of the stress (laughs) of this story oh my god I would just die just die and they made me sit between them. So I'm sitting between mom and dad and my mom just starts reading all this stuff. No, there's no need to read it. We all know what it says. We don't yeah. need to read it out loud. I was, I, I was dying. I was, and she was like, you know, this is why I told you, you shouldn't let them be like watching these shows and you shouldn't have let them see these movies. And we keep, you know, we don't monitor the music enough. We don't do this enough. We don't do this enough. And everything in my life completely went downhill after that moment so my baptism was literally like you could pin it on a board of when things were rocky things got very bad from the moment I got baptized um they put me in isolation for over a month um the elders came I never had to go to the hall I never had to go to the elders the elders room but they did several home visits Mm-hmm. Um, shepherding calls oh shepherding calls yeah and they evaluated everything and they decided I think they just <laughs> I don't know how much my family shared with them in the oh moment. interesting you think like, they held back some of the the details of the print off 
I know that they I know that they shared all of that. Um, in fact, I was there when the, the is, it, is it presiding overseer uh, mm-hmm. at the time? My dad was like, here it is. Would you like to read it? And, and, and he was like, no, I don't need to. I don't need to read that. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I'm going to assume you didn't call us over here to make it up, but okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much. So, so it, in between the first shepherding call and when I got in trouble, um, my mom, there was a hard purge of all my belongings. Um, everything... I owned that was not witness related, like any book, any CD, um, all the movies in the house, stuffed animals that were like, if they were anime related, all of it got bagged up and put on the side of the road. My mom would have donated it because of that scripture about the book burning. (laughs) She was like, no, it will poison somebody else. We must throw it in a landfill Um, (laughs) my mom did use that exact scripture when she burnt all of my pokemon collection cards in the grill and i was like it's not what are you doing and i just remember crying staring at the grill as she just poured lighter fluid on all of my cards just dumb they took that scripture and they ran with it (laughs) i had i was really into sailor moon and Mm. before this point even um, Sailor Moon got banned before this because um, they did a real bad job at dubbing that episode. They made them cousins, but they were lesbians. And my mom was like, those are lesbians. <laughs> I know a lesbian when I see one, and that's what that is. Yeah, and so she had already purged all of that out of the house, which is, I could I could resell that, and I would for so much money. It was like, uh, but no. I digress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there was this purge of everything where, you know, I couldn't have anything that was remotely not witnessed because of all the stuff I had been involved in. Um, and my mom, like I said, my mom and I have a very, very complicated relationship. Mm-hmm. But the things that she did to me were not okay. Um, they're inexcusable. But she was also a victim in her own right. And as I've digested a lot of things in my life more and more I look back and I do feel a lot of sympathy for her um it doesn't excuse what I'm about to say but I don't want to paint her out to be like a monster like it, there was a lot going on with her she was suffering a lot on her own she, my dad did not support her very well mentally mm-hmm. um, she didn't have a lot of friends that were supportive you know the congregation wasn't supportive um so so in between this first shepherding call and the um you know me being called in after my baptism um my mom caught me with a knife and she was like she caught she came into my room and she was like um, you know, if you're going to stay like this, if, if you're not going to change as a person, uh, meaning me being queer, um, mm. that it would be a good idea to just go ahead and die now because what? then I would be, I would be, I would be able to come back into paradise. If I were to stay, my mom was very certain Armageddon was imminent and the school I was in was really focused on that. Um, the principal, like, 
the last year we had, you know, we're in the private once a week, once a week classes, the campus is shut down. Um, before we graduated, she had a whole class period where we didn't, she didn't teach us anything. She just told us that um, Armageddon was coming that October. And if we were doing anything and didn't want to die, we should probably stop. <laughs> and somehow she knew the specific date, even though everyone else didn't. Right. Even though we're told that nobody knows. The nobody date. will know the time and date. Yeah. Like we all. <laughs> was positive. Everybody like at the school, everyone, every adult around me in the congregation, my family was very much you're never, which is, uh, this is very common for witnesses, I think, growing, that grow up in it. You're never going to graduate high school. You're never going to be 20. You're never going to be 30. You're never going to be 40 because Armageddon is going to get there. So you don't need to plan ahead. You don't need to worry about all this stuff. That's right. Um, and so my mom had that in her, in her head as this imminent, like, tomorrow Armageddon. Like, every day was just the day before Armageddon to my mom. <laughs> That's cute. And because here we are in 2023. <laughs> Still hasn't happened. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, she tells me like, you know, with with me and, you know, with this and she there was a sewing kit that was in my room that was her sewing kit that I had taken. And she was like, but if you're going to do it, don't use my good shears. Like, don't use my shears. And then she shut the door and she locked it. I did make an attempt that thankfully was unsuccessful. Um, and I was never taken to the doctor. Um, it wasn't, I don't think it was a, a grievous enough wound that I needed medical. And my dad was also a nurse. He still had all his stuff. Um, it didn't like, you know, I fixed it up myself. It didn't take a lot of work. Um, it wasn't super, super deep. Um, but I don't know if my parents told that to the elders, and that was like one of the reasons I never got called to the hall. Um, they they did not they oh, what did they call it? They made it. Um, I wasn't disfellowshipped, but I was like stripped of of certain rights at the hall. Approved. Like, yes, a approval. Like I couldn't comment. I couldn't go out in service for a while. Um, but it was a private approval. It wasn't public. So it wasn't announced mm -hmm. at the podium. Um, and yeah, people just, the only, the only thing I was allowed to do was go with them to the kingdom hall. I couldn't go anywhere else. Um, I was working at the time at the Park Ridge office, uh, cause it was summer when this happened. It was like July, 2006. Um, and my dad drove me to work. Like while this was going on, this was like day three. Um, because I, you know, both my parents were now disabled and I was the only one working. Um, and so he drove me to work, which was like over an hour away in traffic. We get there. It's very obvious. Something's distressing me. Uh, that one teacher that had the PhD was very, of all, everyone there was the only one I think of she, she was obviously very like something's going on and I'm not comfortable with this and maybe I should look into it. Nobody else cared. Um, but my dad ended up pulling me, he, he drove us all the way there and we had an expedition. It was so much gas. Um, <laughs> and, and then he other, they kept reading what I was writing and he ended up pulling me back out like 30 to 40 minutes after I'd started, started work. And he's like, no, we need to go home. Like it's good. It, this has become more serious. And I was like, great. And on the car ride home, he's, you know, he's talking about the stuff and he's like, I just, 
don't understand why you're writing about guys putting their things in each other and I just don't understand why you're doing this and I remember at that moment as as funny as that comment is now at the time it was horrifying and I remember looking at him and being like because I am because I am and I didn't understand how much that was true at the time of like not just am I gay but I'm also you know dealing with some gender stuff here and right. I'm like I am gay like I this that's why I write this because this is what's natural to me this is what's relatable to me um so they put me in therapy for one day with this guy who was he had been approved of by by the elders in our hall that one of the elders had taken my best friend um her father had taken her to this therapist and had worked so well for them so they said um and this therapist is a therapist that I don't quite count as a therapist I think that therapy is great and everyone should get it if they can afford it um if you're at all able to it's just he was one of those therapists that's almost like a specialty therapist for your religion and or cult <laughs> was he a Jehovah's witness he wasn't a witness he just serviced a lot of witnesses and other um faiths other christian mm. faiths and so he was you know he was very accustomed to reaffirming those doctrines um and he's very was, odd to reaffirm a faith that you don't share yeah uh i thought so um but they it wasn't a one-on-one session it was my parents it was my mom and my mom and dad and, and i Ugh. and um i'll never forget it because he looked at me during the session um and he was like the reason your parents are so afraid right now is because you're like a tinted window like they look into they look at you and they see you as if you're behind a tinted window in a car and there's like this image of you but they don't know who you are and they're afraid and i told them like no my parents know who i am and that is the problem that's what they're afraid of is that they do yeah. know who i am and they don't like what they see yeah um and we never went back to him because it did not you know i was very adamant that i wasn't going to go and that was like the one session that i like and i just After that point, I was a generally very amicable, very like well-behaved um kid. My parents got comments all the time that they were so strict that like one day I was going to run off and go crazy and like do everything because they didn't let me do anything. Mm-hmm. Um but after that point, I just completely shut down and I stayed over and spent a lot of the many years that followed that just being extremely closed off and um very quiet and i i didn't really do a lot of stuff um past that point the f- the first time they allowed me to do anything after that uh one of the friends i had at the school who was a very bad witness thank god um there's this place called Catalina Island. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. It it's in California. It's uh somewhere in LA, like around Long Beach maybe, but it's this little island that's like an hour. You can take like a ferry. It's like an hour to ferry ride. Um and that was a big Wait, is that where the whale watching is? It might be. It might be where the whale watching is. Um it was If it big... is, I've been there. <laughs> can walk the whole island in a day. It's very small. That's how I found out I have island fever is because when I got there I was like, "Oh, I went off." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, that was a first so that was a big thing because the school would do this thing for the seniors where like you got to go to Catalina Island. We never got to do that because we never made it to the to 
uh, that grade, but the school was still on campus. Mm. But my friend from this school um, was like, hey, my mom's going to take me to Catalina Island. Do you want to come? And it had been long enough. I think it had been like a couple months by this point. Um, probably been like three months, four months. My parents were like, well, they're, they're, their mom's really strict, so I guess we'll let you go. And so that was the first trip I got, like any kind of got a break away or anything. And the first thing I did was go to the public library. Um, and she wasn't gonna let me use the computer at first because like I wasn't a resident or something. And I just completely broke down and I'm like, please, I, I have someone that I've been talking with online. They're a really close friend of mine and I just disappeared overnight and they're going to think I'm dead because I haven't been able probably. to. Probably. That's, that's not even being dramatic. That's yeah. truly probably what she thought for a minute there. And I was just sobbing and I don't know who this woman was, but I'm always thankful to her because she was like, okay, you have an hour. I immediately went on and I sent a message that didn't even know if it would get read because I couldn't like wait around for a reply. Right. Um, and my wife, my wife got it. And for a while it was really sparse communication, like really, really sparse. Um, I would send messages. What did you tell them when you reached out to them? I told them the truth, um, which sounded insane because I hadn't told them I was a witness. Mm. Um, and they didn't know what that was like. So, you know, I came back and I was like, Hey, you know, um, my family are witnesses and, um, I got in trouble. They found all this stuff we were writing and I'm not allowed to like, I don't have a lot of freedom right now. And I don't know if you're still going to be around, but I'm going to keep trying to contact you and I miss you. And I just didn't want you to think that anything, you know, was wrong or that, you know, that I was ignoring you or anything. I was so worried about that. Like, what if they think that, you know, I just ditched them and ran off and, yeah. um, and so occasionally I would get to go to, to this friend's house and immediately I would, you know, check my messages and we could send messages that way very, very sparsely, like maybe once or twice a month. Um, and then eventually it got to be long enough that they let me have a laptop. Um, I was able to, I'm very lucky that my parents were not tech savvy at the time. <laughs> and, and in their defense, the internet was still really new to everybody. Um, and witnesses aren't super, super educated on it anyway. So yeah, um, I was able to kind of trick them into thinking um, that my, my laptop didn't have internet. Um, there was the <laughs> that's the not Wi-Fi. really a thing. <laughs> yeah, switch for the for the Wi-Fi, like on the side of it. That was yeah. Like, um, <laughs> we didn't understand that, thankfully. So I was able to eventually establish some kind of contact that was pretty regular, um, and that's how I got out. Is um, there was another absence, but on my wife's end because they got grounded for a while. And then they came back, and by the time they come back, it was um, 2000. It was 2008. Um, my grandfather Ronnie had passed away. My mom's dad, and this friend that I had, um, the same one that I went to Catalina Island with, um, she a year after that, almost to the date around there, was like, hey, you know, my mom 
has moved to Tennessee and I'm going to go, I'm going to go see my mom. Um, that could be your out to go see your partner. Cause my partner lives in Tennessee. Uh, and then by that point I was 18 and I was like, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to, I was actually 19 because it was 2009 when I went to go see, um, them for the first time. And it was all, you know, the lie was like, I'm going to go with this friend. Um, that I met through the school and this friend wasn't very good association but they were still a witness and better than nothing (laughs) and I really like my mom which this wasn't a lie it was just it timed out that way it was about a year from when my grandfather passed and we had been very very close and I was you know like I it would be really nice to just not be here the month of his passing yeah and my mom was like yeah okay um just you know you're gonna have to check in with us like all the time and you are an adult so okay this is your this is your first big adult test right so there was a lot of guilt that I had from that yeah know? again with the guilt and it's unnecessary oh, guilt she didn't need to add that to it the whole time and like um I didn't have any like we had talked on the phone a few times uh my wife and I by this point um which was a whole other thing I looked like such a catfish looking back because they didn't know what I looked like they didn't even get a phone call from me until like right before we met because I had to use I didn't have a cell phone so I wasn't and I couldn't call from the home phone so I had to use my friend's phone and that was like very sporadic that we ever hung out so it was like I could have just been having my friend talk on the phone like who knows who I really was right yeah but we were both who we said we were and um so in October, it was for their 18th birthday. Um, I flew out and spent a week with them in the mountains and, um, in Tennessee. And it was amazing. It was just the initial meeting and, and my partner was so, so understanding and just like great about it because the first like 24 hours I was so anxious. Like I kept looking, I kept pulling my phone out and looking at it, pulling it out and looking at it because I was convinced that they knew what I was doing that like, Jehovah oh your parents you mean yeah Jehovah knows and like somehow and I never really bought into the idea that Jehovah always knows what you're doing that would never really fit you know you'd have to believe in Jehovah and the whole organization in order to believe something like that so if you didn't have the faith needed to believe that lie <laughs> but I did believe because the area that our congregation was in you know it's in Southern California it's in the LA County area um everyone was watching everyone all the time mm-hmm. and I was convinced that somehow they knew what I was doing like someone was tracking me someone like somehow someone was gonna someone was gonna see me doing what I was doing and it was gonna get back to them somehow um yeah so I was terrified and it took me a while before I finally could like enjoy being with my partner but they were very very patient and then it was how long were you there? I'm sorry if you said that already. I was there for a week um, and okay. I was there. I landed just about. So it was like October 24th uh, was the day I flew in. And then they turned uh, they turned 18 on the 25th. And then I left on like the 31st, I want to say. The 30th or the 31st. It was like right before Halloween and I was bummed out because I couldn't do any Halloween stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's your one opportunity. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that was the hardest thing, like leaving my, I'm very, very lucky that I found my partner and that my partner is who they are um, because we had a very deep connection. Um 
And I know how rare that is. And I'm very, very lucky despite everything else in my life that I was lucky enough to have that. Because if I didn't have that, leaving would have been, if not impossible, a lot more tragic for me. Yeah. Um, it was only like four months-ish. It was, I got back, it was basically November. And the next year I moved in May 14th, 2010 with my partner. So we moved in together very quickly. Um, my intent was to fade because my family is very important to me and I love them very, very much of my abuela very, very much. And so I didn't want to, I wanted to maintain contact as long as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. um, and the easiest way to do that or the best shot I had was to fade. So I, I could we concocted this whole story. I was like, okay. So I went, I flew in with my friend um, whose mom was on the opposite side of Tennessee. So we, you know, we flew into the same airport and went two different directions. <laughs> but the story I told my parents is I had met my partner and it's just, you know, oh, I met this sister and she's great. Um, her mom's also really nice. Um, she's a single, we concocted this whole story. Oh God. Like how we met. And that's how I started talking about my partner to my parents in this persona of, yeah, this great friend friend. Yeah. I have this really close, uh, friend who's studying. They're not a witness, but the mom is a witness. Um, the mom used to be Baptist, but now witness and like this whole backstory and my parents were just elated that I had found like a friend that was, you know, oh, they sound great. Okay. Yeah. That's, you know, that's good. Um, mom sounds good. Um, and things at home were really bad between like my mom and I, mm -hmm. uh, and my dad knew something had to change. Like things were very, very bad, uh, mental health wise. And she knew that too, though. I don't think she wanted to really admit it. Um, so I told my dad first when I decided I was going to move because I'm 19, I can do it. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost 20 at this point. Um, and he's like, okay, I know you need to move out. And I know it's basically impossible to move out on your own because we live where we live. Yeah. So you have my support, but you're going to have to tell your mom and I don't know how that's going to go. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm really scared about that. <laughs> um, she, from her response to me when I told her that I was moving, mm -hmm. she really thought what was going to happen in that moment. She thought I was going to move out and I would see that it wasn't so bad at home. And, you know, and turn right around and come back. Turn right around and come back. Come sure. Back. Yeah. <laughs> she really, really knew that in that moment. Um, and so I, you know, I packed everything up and in, in May I, I moved out. I got a store transfer from where I was working. So that was nice because I had a job when I moved. Um, and, I, yeah, I lived there until, until my wife uh, and I moved up to where we are right now, temporarily in Maine for my wife's uh, graduate program. So I did not come home. <laughs> I did not turn around and come home. We did go home for two visits before I started being shunned, um, both of which were under the guise of my wife being my good friend that I met in Tennessee. Um, and they were an exceptional sport about that. Um, the first trip especially was 
wild because I had to give them this whole like rundown of witness lingo and everything. Yeah. Um, and they did an amazing job. The whole congregation met them. It was a big thing. Like it was very. Wow. I don't think as a person that is an XJW, if I needed to fake it for someone I cared about tomorrow, I think I would fail. And and that's because I'm I've been out for 10 years. I think that I'm so detached now from whatever and everything that has changed over the last decade. I would I would have no clue. And so I'm astonished that that they could even keep up when they didn't even have like the ground level information other than you like doing like a really quick Rosetta Stone training. Yeah. <laughs> like how the heck? <laughs> a stone for for witnesses and like i was like we can get away with this because you're not baptized you're studying I'm like so true true you, your lie was chosen very wisely <laughs> yeah. like if you if you mess up just it's okay just roll with it and let them preach to you and we'll be all right <laughs> um wow. and my wife was a saint and that trip was so stressful i was a wreck it was crazy but they got to see a lot of the stuff like yeah when I first moved in, they, my wife knew it was a cult. And I, as much as I did not believe in it, was like, it's not a cult, that's crazy. That's, no, it's not a cult, that's. And then my wife encouraged me to do research. And at first I shut them down hard. I was like, no, you can't just Google it. You can't do that. You know, you, you I've been told, cause in all that time I was using the internet, I never Googled anything with like the witnesses. I never looked into the witnesses mm. until after I moved away and it probably took two years before I really started looking into it um and then once I started learning it I was like oh it's a, like a cult cult it's, <laughs> it is a cult cult like it's actually this is pretty bad yeah and then you know the longer I was digesting it and then like learning um about the world in general because you know I didn't know anything my parents were very like no politics no world events there is only the witnesses um so I lived in such a tight bubble that I had so much learning and the more I learned I was like oh okay um this really is like I should have known the like terms like the organization <laughs> alone or like you know, the watchtower, the governing, but there's like little red flags and like so many yeah. things that you just don't think about. And then there were things that happened growing up that I didn't realize, like the um, the old publications in our, in our library, in our congregation, I found those when I was like uh, 10 and I started reading them in the library because like I loved to read, I loved to learn my favorite things about going to the kingdom hall were when we would go over like the Daniel book and stuff because mm -hmm. there's of Babylon in it and that <laughs> stuff was awesome and I loved it um but so I started reading like these old like the ones published by like Russell and stuff and um one of the one of the brothers found me in there and he's like oh what are you doing and I'm like oh I'm just reading this book ah. <laughs> normal because it's in the library it's witnessed published so the next meeting that I went to which that was like a Wednesday night meeting and then like the next one was Sunday they were all gone so what that's yeah. not suspicious or anything so I took them all away so I guess they thought no one would ever touch them um but some, that's fair to be honest <laughs> like 
some really bored kid was like, oh, a book, I will read it. I'm desperate for book. Um, so yeah, I, it took about two years um, before I really started getting into it and then started unpacking what it was. And then I started getting into like the XJW, like started finding out that was a thing. Um, I started getting interested in like activism with it. Um, and not just activism with witness stuff, but I've become a very activist person in all kinds of things. Um, I like community and I like helping other people. Um, and it's funny because my mom always told me if she wasn't a witness, she would be doing all this stuff. Like she'd be going to rallies and she would be like doing, you know, the, like she really wanted when she got diagnosed with cancer, she wanted to do like the breast cancer awareness and she wanted to do like walks and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. she wasn't allowed to, because you're not allowed to do stuff like that. She wanted to give the charity, you're not allowed to do that. She's like, I give so much money to charity if I wasn't a witness. So I just give it to the kingdom hall instead and all this stuff. So in a lot of ways, I know that the life that I have is a life that she would have been happier living if she could have. Um, yeah. And I feel bad for her for that. She passed away. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. Um, she did bounce back from the first round um, when she was diagnosed the first time. And then in, I think it was around 2016-ish. It was shortly before I started getting shunned um she got it came back and it was terminal and she told me she you know she called me and she's like hey yeah like it's it came back and there's nothing we can do but they think they have a few years and that was very hard um so we originally had only planned for the one visit to go see my family because i really wanted my spouse to meet my family yeah because um, I really wanted them to know like it's complicated and they're they're not you know my family's messy all families are messy and mm -hmm. there's some stuff there but like my abuela is a good person and, and my mom is complicated but she's not a monster like I need you to go I need you to see my family yeah um, and so we'd only planned for the one trip because it was very risky. <laughs> very, very brave, very risky. Would not recommend. <laughs> Under no circumstances would I recommend this. I got through this by the skin of my teeth. And second trip we only did because she, she got cancer and she asked me to please come see her. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's go. Um, the second trip ended very uncomfortably. Um, she really wanted me to come home. She knew, my mom knew. She didn't out me, but she knew. Um, she, you know, she was smart and she struggled with those feelings. And um, she knew that my wife and I were together and she really didn't want me to leave. She kind of tried to make that happen. Um, but we got out okay, like no one was harmed or anything, but shortly after that my dad texted me and i'll never forget because um we were there's this burger chain place in the south i don't know if they're in florida but they're called cookout burger mm -hmm. and they print uh like the salt they print a psalm on their bag of fries <laughs> yes they do they have fantastic milkshakes but it's very triggering if you go there <laughs> exactly their milkshakes are amazing so good <laughs> we had gotten cookout and my dad sent me a text and 
was like, are you and your wife a couple? And it was because I- Were you married by that point? I'm sorry, did I miss that? We were not married yet. Yet, okay. We were not married yet. We didn't get married until 2019. Okay. Um, we were, you know, we were all in all, but in legality, we were, we were married. Right. Um, but I had, I was really proud of them because they started college and they were just knocking it out of the park. And my dad was not okay with that. I shouldn't have shared that information with him, but I was so proud. Mm. And, um, you know, his first thing was like, well, how is this going to affect their, their coming along and get like, when are they going to get baptized? And, you know, mm, mm, you know, what is, <laughs> what is about this? And my wife had won this award, a uh, scholarship award. It was a like big deal. And, um, I was so proud and I was, you know, like, oh my God, you know, my, they did this, they did this, they did this. I'm really proud of them. And then my dad texted me back is like, so like you're together then? And I was like, mm. and I remember like being in the parking lot with my wife eating and looking at the bag of fries with the Psalms. And I'm like, mm, uh. this, is this, is the, this is the moment. And I texted him back and I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? Because you know, we can't, because we kind of had this don't ask, don't tell thing going for a while. <laughs> Like, That's a great I, way to put it. <laughs> I would call in for family worship nights, you know, um, and I would, I wouldn't, it got to a point where I wouldn't really comment. I didn't have it in me to comment anymore. Um, so I would just volunteer myself to do the readings because that kind of got me out of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I started calling less and less for the family worship because it just got harder and harder for me to do it. And I felt bad because I really wanted to spend time with them. And that was like one of the only times I could spend time with them. But it just got so hard to participate in it. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, do you really want me to answer this? Because there isn't any going back. And he's like, yeah. So I took like an hour um, yeah. in the car, typing Wise. Out, like the most collected thoughts that I could about like, okay, yes. And I didn't tell him like the whole story. I didn't tell him like how this had happened, how we got to here. I was just like, yeah, we're together. You know, we love each other very much. We support each other. I'm very, very happy. I'm taken care of. Like I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm more stable than I've ever been. Um, like I want you to know I'm really well. I'm like, I don't believe in this, the truth, but it's okay that you do. And I know you, I know you're probably not going to want to, but I'm perfectly happy. You can talk about going door to door. You can talk about anything you want to. And if you want, I won't even talk about, you can tell me what you don't want to hear. And I won't talk about it. I just don't want to lose contact with you guys. And the only thing I got back was, okay. And that was it. <laughs> and then, um, my mom though was, you know, it's so my, my mom would keep talking to me. It wasn't what. I wanted it wasn't you know it was always like come back to the truth like like pages and pages of text messages of like I love you so much and Jehovah loves you too and I'm never gonna stop believing in you and and she shouldn't have been doing that like she was breaking, yeah she was breaking away from what she was supposed to be doing by doing that but you know I I wish more people understood that if you're going to break a rule that the organization has set um when it comes to just like the 
situation between disfellowship people or disassociated people. That's not the rule that we need you to break. We don't need you to break the rule and reach out to us when you're not supposed to just to fill us with bullshit and fluff. Like break the rules as in like still come to my graduation, still come to my wedding, still like talk to me and ask me, you know, on the anniversary of your mother's passing, like do they reach out and check in with you and make sure you're feeling okay? Like those are the rules that they should be breaking, not breaking the rules of contact or no contact to just hound you with bullshit that's not helpful yeah so i didn't so because of that um as you can imagine i wasn't always replying to these right <laughs> thanks for no thanks i'm good yeah. i did reply sometimes and i because mm-hmm. you know, there's that hope that like oh, of course and i have these like so we we went abroad shortly after that and that's where we got engaged we, my wife through the college mm-hmm. Um, because as much as my parents were anti-college, because witnesses are anti-college, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the really good breaks that we've had is because my wife went to college and it, and college is not for everybody, but it has worked out for my wife very well. Um, and the college had a like study abroad thing. And so we got to go to Scotland and uh, London and we, pro- we actually proposed to each other. Like we oh. both had the same idea. We even got each other the same exact ring. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. You've known each other since you were 12 and 13. Like if you guys weren't this in tune at this rate, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you, of course you guys know each other that well. <laughs> so it was really great and um, my mom always wanted to travel she never got to except for Costa Rica like she always wanted to go to England she was she used to read me Beatrix Potter stories growing mm-hmm. up. and um she always 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 wanted to go see it and so um I you know it was hard coming back and knowing I couldn't just because she she was excited about the trip she'd known we were going to go before the shunning happened and it was hard. It was sad not to be able to tell her, to like know that she might not see the pictures I sent and stuff like that. Um, but she, you know, then she started, she was talking to me. So like we got engaged. And so I was like, Hey, you know, if your problem, cause a lot of the language of what she was, she would never address it outright. Like she would never say lesbian or anything like that, but she was getting the point across and, and, that roundabout way of like purity and you know all that kind of stuff return mm-hmm. to Jehovah and be clean and that kind of stuff yeah um, and so I was like if your problem with this is that it's not legal it is now as of a year ago so we are engaged to be married if that changes your opinion on anything let me know because I'll always you know I'm always you can always start talking to me I've been that way with my family I'm like I'm always you know yeah it's not you shunning them it's them shunning you right so um we would touch and go for a while and then in 2018 um she passed away and that was I actually wouldn't have known my mom died if it wasn't for somebody in my old congregation who at the time was thinking about leaving and has since left and I owe them so much for contacting me of all places on Instagram. I got an Instagram message while we were at a college conference and they were like, hey, I don't know if anyone has reached out to you. I didn't even have your number, but I know this is you. Um, and I think you should know that your mom is in hospice and and it's like, she's dying, like it's really bad. And I was like, no, no one told me, thank you so much. Um, so I start like hounding my dad, like immediately. 
Um, and he did not pick up, did not pick up until the next day. And then he's like, I was going, I don't know how you found out. And I didn't tell him how I found Of course, out. right. Um, he's like, but I was going to contact you. And I was like, when were you going to contact Yeah, hospice is not something you can postpone sharing that information. Like, yeah. the, the clock is already ticking, guy. Like, let's go. It had been to my understanding, had been like a week. And I was like, you've had plenty of time. Do you know what can happen in a week on hospice? Like, come on. Um, So, you know, we started talking. I'm like, okay, because I'm immediately like, okay, when can you pick me up at the airport? Like, I'll like, And he's like, so your mother and I have talked about this. And I was like, okay. Don't even. And he's like, "Um, so you're not allowed to come to the funeral. If you do come home, you can't stay here. He's like, I don't want to tell you, you can't see your mother and she can't speak for herself anymore, but you won't be able to stay at the house if you come. And if you come to the funeral, you will be removed from the premises. So I, uh, I just, I thought about it for a lot. I mean, it felt like it, that span of time felt like years. Um, yeah. And I thought about it and decided my, my my abuela, my grandma, who was like a second mother to me, um, she, you know, she lost her husband and now she lost her daughter. And and that's so awful for anyone, mm-hmm. but I couldn't imagine losing your husband. And she was, they were so in love. Um, and then losing your daughter and they were, my mom and, and my abuela were very, very, very close. So I knew she was going to be just completely beside herself with grief. Mm-hmm. And I knew my tio, my uncle wasn't going to be, he, he's not an emotionally available person. Mm-hmm. And my dad never liked my grandmother. Oh, yeah. My dad is a bit of a racist, if we're honest. <laughs> oh, great. But he didn't see any problem with being with your mom. So, yeah, it's funny. Selective. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um, and he, he never liked my grandma. And I'm, some of that's racism and some of that's personality clash. But there was enough of it there that I was like, okay. Um, and so I knew he wasn't going to be there for her. My uncle would do his best, but some people just are not wired mm-hmm. for that. Absolutely. Um, and I also knew if I showed up, I would. I knew they meant it. I knew I would be removed. And I, I elected not to go only because I didn't want to distress my grandmother. I, I That's was fair. concerned about that being the thing that just sent her over the edge. Um, so I didn't go. I was given a, a link or a, a password to the Kingdom Hall for the, the funeral. Right. I was sent the program. Um, and I got to listen into it. The last time I spoke with my father was uh, after the funeral where we talked. And um, I was like, you know, I would really like to know you're just doing okay like once in a while like can I just text you once a a month couple every six months or something and just and he's like unless it's a dire emergency he's like you know what you need to do if you want to talk to me and I was I can't do that dad like you you're asking me to be miserable you're asking me to be suicidal like you're you're asking me something that I can't do and he's like well I'm not asking you to be I'm not asking you to do that I'm not asking you are 
<laughs> he's like, we can go back and forth all day. I mean, you are. That's exactly what he's asking you to do. Yeah. I'm like, you're asking. I remember being there, like, and my my partner was beside me the entire time, horrified. They had they they told me after they had never witnessed anything as as like heartless as that. Um, and they were like, my you know, I was like, you're asking me to leave the one person in my life, the one living person in my life that has been the most loving and nourishing and supportive. You're asking me to turn my back on them and walk back to, to into a situation that is detrimental to my mental health. And he's like, no, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just saying, you know what you have to do if you want to talk. It's just a lack of ownership, lack of honesty, like with himself. Like he's yeah. just not, if you're stating a fact and you're not trying to be mean, you're just saying it for a fact. And he's just refusing to, to use your words because your words make him realize he's the bad guy. So he's got to just stick to like, no, 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 that's not what I said. Yeah, it's not what you said, but you didn't have to say it. Like it it's was, one and the same. It was very like, you know, cause he's an elder, but he's been an elder um, by this point for years. And it was Jesus. very like elder scripted. It was very yep. like, this is the dot that I go, there is no deviation. This is mm-hmm. what I go through and this is what I'm doing. Um, and that's the last time that I've spoken with him. Occasionally for a while, I could get a text when, when something would happen in our area, like a, a fire or a, a bad earthquake or something. I'd be like, hey, you okay? Is Abuelo okay? Um, and he would say yes, and that would be it. Um, now he, I still text him. Um, I've tried calling him recently a few times because um, I've become aware that my grandmother is having some kidney issues. And so I've been trying mm-hmm. to be like, hey, 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 <laughs> I could be a doctor. <laughs> right. Um, and, um, but I've tried calling, but he has not, like, I doubt he will ever. And I don't expect it, but I have a friend who asked me, like, I feel like, you know, you're putting yourself through a lot of turmoil by constantly trying to get in touch with your grandmother. And I'm like, yeah, but you have to understand, like, my mom tried to call me. Like, my mom called me right before she died, like, before she went. I didn't know it at the time, but it was, like, two weeks before she went into hospice. Mm -hmm. She called me. And I didn't pick up the phone because at that time I couldn't handle it, which is understandable. And Completely. I know, I know that's not my fault, but I will never not regret not picking up the phone. I will. I understand never that as well. Yeah. Regret picking up the phone and talking to her one last time. So with my grandmother, even though the odds are negative one. Anything. <laughs> For my own self, I have to keep trying to say, like, I tried until the end, so at least she knows she was in my thoughts all the time and I never stopped loving her. And also, it's none of us can speak to, like, what you need. Like, only you know what you need to feel, I'm not going to say good, but, like, at peace with how things were handled. So it's like, if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Like, you don't have to justify it. Yeah, it's the only closure I'm likely to get. Um, yeah possibly you don't know never say never I mean never say never. even if it is negative something you know there might be something that changes we we don't know what that being that close to the end of your life does to a person and maybe yeah. maybe she realizes like this whole thing is a trap and stupid yeah. and silly and 
why did I let it divide my family this way? Yeah, I, I keep hoping that her father's words, like her father's, you know, because this whole thing about like, okay, you have your differences with religion, but at the end of the day, yes. we're family. Absolutely. Um, leave it outside. Like when you're inside, when you're together, that's the most important thing. I keep hoping that that will come back to yeah. her because that's stuck with me my whole life. It hurts me the most because I know, like, I know I don't know in the sense that I wasn't told this. Yeah, literally you don't know, but. But I know my mother so, so well. And I know she would have wanted me there. I yeah. Know, I know that what he did was not her final wishes. Um, she showed that with her actions until like the very, very end to me. Um, and it bothers me that I, I, I don't regret not going and that I think that for the situation what it was it was the best thing I could have done mm-hmm. I agree but I will never forgive my father for not honoring my mom that way um, yeah. that's like the one thing that I'll never forgive him for like I can deal with everything else but that would be like if my dad came back tomorrow and was like you know I'm sorry I did a lot of stuff I would absolutely like forgive him in the sense of like I wouldn't bring it up I wouldn't be cruel to him but right. that's like something that can't be undone that's that yeah it was a one-time thing yeah so that that's the thing that that bothers me the most is that I know that that's not what she wanted and I mean I may be biased here because obviously I don't know your mother but I feel like it's one of two things. Either your mother did really say that and did really feel that way to the the end where she last could speak. I'm disappointed that your father didn't say that may have been what she said, but this is just not the right thing to do. And I'm going to go against that. And then on the other hand, if she did say, hey, I felt that way when I was healthy, but now that I'm seeing the pearly white gates and the light at the end of the tunnel here, I changed my mind. I want my daughter there. This is not more important than my daughter being here. And he held true to it. Then I still judge him for that. Like, no matter how I look at that, it's just, yeah, death is different. It's like, you know, we, we all butt heads and we all argue and whatever, but death is different. And those things just should be put to the side. Yeah. Like your grandfather said, your great grandfather said, like, it's just, you put you press pause during certain moments and death is one of those moments yeah you give grace in death yes and that wasn't the time for him to like try to hold strong and prove a point for this organization or jehovah like no he, he was always that way though my when my uh grand when my abuelo died my grandfather died my they had a, a funeral for him and there was a lot of contention at the funeral because um all the kids had different beliefs and so everyone wanted him to go a certain way you know of course that's right um, yeah but everyone came together in the end and my father did not want me there because it was not a witness funeral even though at this time he was not a spiritually strong man like he didn't he wasn't super active that was like the thing that he was like as the head of the house i forbid it my mother was like absolutely not this is my family that was my grandfather we are going to the funeral and they can process the grief however they want. And I will be there for them. Like my mom felt very differently from my dad on that stuff. My mom was very aligned with, with um, her grandfather in that way. And again, when my, when my Tios died, my, when my grandma's brothers died um, in Texas, 
we, I was like 10 and my mom, I went on a plane with my grandma all the way to, to Austin um, while he was passing away. And we attended the funeral and we were there for his family. And, you know, his family was a, I, I don't know what, um, what sect of Christianity they were, if they were Baptist or whatever, but mm -hmm. they were Christian. So it was a Christian funeral and we attended and, um, it was, you know, after that, there was a lot of faith stuff and a lot. And my mom was very, like, she listened to what they thought and she offered comfort in that very, like, in that way where, where witnesses kind of intersect with that because of the Christian. Yeah. Um, but she didn't try to force her beliefs on them. She, it's not the time. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I know, like, whereas my dad, again, like, he was, he didn't go with us. He could have if he wanted to be supportive, but he didn't. Um, that was like, no, you don't, you're not supposed to go to those, the worldly funeral. You shouldn't even have contact with that side of the family. They're worldly. Um, and so there, so I like, that's another thing is my mom showed me her whole life. Like when it mattered, you should have. I see. So yeah. I know, like that's not what she would have wanted. Um, but I felt like it was the only thing I could do at the time to keep, just to keep, to protect my grandmother. Really. It was all for her. Do you think that, let's say your parents were separated um, when she was alive and she was doing all the shunning, was that her or was that the pressure of her husband? Um, so my mom, when she got diagnosed with cancer the first time, she asked for a shepherding call because she started to have questions of faith. And she wanted me there for that. Like she pointedly was like, I want you with me while I talk to the, the elders about this. And I was like, okay, sure, yeah. Um, and she just started asking them like, you know, what if we're wrong? What if I die and nothing mm -hmm. happens? What if I die and um, it's something else? Like, what was all of this for? Like I've done a lot of things in the name of Jehovah that I might not agree with, that I maybe done not fully okay with but I I do it because that's what I'm supposed to do but what if what if it's not interesting they did, they did not know how to answer that they did not know how to handle it um, well is there an answer to that I don't think there is I don't, I don't think there's an answer to that um they ultimately kind of told her that she should pray <laughs> oh my god yeah. thanks big help that is <laughs> lot and do research you know um we have all those encyclopedias what do they call them i forget what they call them those volumes if you can access it on cd-rom now um, the brown ones right Am yeah, I think the, big, the, brown ones. the thick but yeah they're they're like the size of a dictionary and it's like yeah. i don't remember and there's so many of them and we had mm -hmm. them all in the house you know we had like a the same major, like um congregation library in our house and like yeah um so you do a lot of research and you're gonna have to come to peace with that on your own and like they didn't give her like a chest which I'm, I'm glad they didn't I think in other scenarios maybe she would have gotten like a stricter warning but they they chalked it up to her being manic <laughs> and we're like uh she's manic it's it's she'll settle down um but I, it's not I, entirely untrue but I mean yeah. it's also just like just they're just not helpful either yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, she probably was, but also I, I don't think it went away. I think she had those thoughts. And um, so she, I think there's a pretty good chance if she had, if things had been different, and I don't know, I don't know this, um, 
But I think there's a decent chance that my mom probably, I know if she was still alive, we'd still be talking. I don't know if she would have stayed in the truth her whole life. Um, because she started to kind of open up later on. Like our relationship improved after I moved away. Um, and she did do a lot of reflecting on things that had happened at the house and she apologized for those. And we could never go back to being like in a cohabitating thing. That's just not good of for us. Yeah. But I think we could have been friends. I think that, you know, if she hadn't um, passed away so soon that I could definitely, and my mom was very strong-willed <laughs> and I get all the things she, she had issues with me growing up. Like she used to tell me when she was in a bad place, she'd tell me that I had the spirit of Satan inside me because I was too independent. Oh God. Okay. And then, you know, but a little much, but okay. <laughs> he was a very fiery, passionate person. Um, and that came out in bad ways sometimes. But <laughs> once she like made up her mind on something, you know, you couldn't really change it. And a lot of these things that I got punished for were things that were very similar to things that she felt or did. I just said them or did them. Whereas okay. my yeah. felt them but didn't act on it yeah um so I, I do think that if things had been different that we would still be talking and in an, an ideal world you know we would actually have like an open kind of I don't know if she would have fully left or not but um I think she would be um, a lot more reasonable in that way because she did start having doubts and and uh, I don't know if it's okay to bring up politics on this podcast. Go for it. <laughs> so when we visited last, it was 2016. So Trump was a thing. Um, and even though we're not supposed to have, you know, political opinions, my mom, you know, was a biracial woman. And so by default, <laughs> yeah, she's going to have, you know, and my, my dad made this comment in the car about how, um, he wouldn't vote for Hillary because she's, you know, crazy and a woman and all this stuff. And even though that's not something he should have said. No. My mom was very upset at what was going on in the world. Like she was very distressed about that constantly. Like that we was all were, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was a you know, she was very she didn't like guns, you know, she was very impassioned about these things that I think also fed into like her belief in like it, it'll be better when Jehovah takes care of it because she was so yeah. deeply wounded at her soul by like tragedies that would happen in the world like she was deeply mm -hmm. deeply grieved by them and I think that the faith of like Jehovah's gonna come magically make people be kind to each other was very comforting to her. Yeah, um, it's far-fetched, but when you're desperate for some sort of magical resolution, it's really yeah. easy to grab any religion and cult, um, not specific to Jehovah's Witness, everything is like, well, this thing will be the, the solution to everything and it'll magically work out in the end. Especially if like, you're young, and I know this is super common for a lot of witnesses, you know, like my mom was like, oh, she sees her dad who had this kind of violent history go through this transformation that coincided right. with the studying so if that's like your introduction like you're eight years old and that's what you're seeing you're like oh if it worked for my dad who i as a child never thought would change it could mm. work for the whole world right you know like of course sure <laughs> so but there was things like that in that visit that i saw where she was like 
really bucking up and like speaking up and like no that's not okay that you said that husband you know <laughs> like yeah not the time you know she she and she was one that was very like don't even say the word politics we're supposed to be neutral so there was a lot of stuff that she started doing where she I could see her kind of breaking away um and I think part of that is because she was terminal and so she started to yeah. really reckon with questions that's like she has such a like forget Armageddon being tomorrow you don't know if you're going to wake up the next day right so Fair. you have yeah. to start to reckon with all this stuff like a lot more seriously and I think that that um changed a lot of her views in the end that um had to do with whether or not she would still have a spirituality or believe in God, I don't know. But I do think she started to question the organization itself. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we're, of course, this is all like hypothetical of like what would she or right. wouldn't have done. But it's just easy to see that when you have someone that's way more diehard and way more like, no, 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 you absolutely can't do that. It's easy to imagine that like, maybe if you didn't have this person in your home, your partner in life, maybe if they lightened up a little bit, maybe you could have lightened up a little bit, you know? Yeah. That's tough. Oh, um, one of the things was going to ask you how your partner, how their family felt about you coming into the picture and bringing the cult situation did you guys let them know like what you guys were involved in yeah so the only secret that we had was um so at the time my partner's mother um was that well my partner's mother still is christian she was baptist and now she identifies as non-denominational um and she was not accepting of homosexuality at the time so it was still under the guise that i was a friend and not a partner um however my my partner was very upfront about the witness stuff and very upfront about the situation and and my partner's mom had known the whole time that that um they were talking to me online um, okay they were very involved in that they knew about the writing they did not care they're like you're a kid um you know just i don't want to see it <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were and they were also very like um making sure i was not actually someone that could hurt their kid kind of thing you know okay um, yeah like a predator <laughs> yeah yeah wisely um mm -hmm. so um they you know i heard my voice um so but, but and they were there when i flew in like their mom was there when i flew in the first time to visit um and when i moved in um my partner had, had this conversation with their mom about like yeah you know that they're a witness, you know, what their home life is like, because they've been very open about that. Mm -hmm. And it was my partner's mom who like turned around and had like this super serious conversation. It was like, okay, I'm fine with this, but you need to understand that if they get here and you guys have a fight and you're not friends anymore, they don't pack up and go home. They are, if they move here, we're going to be there for them. And it's like a forever thing. Like you, you Interesting. Just decide that you're done being friends with this person because you guys drift apart or whatever. Cause we were, you know, 18, 19. Gotcha. Um, and like, you, you can't do that. So if you can commit to me that you understand how serious this is, then they're welcome in my home. And wow. my partner was like, yeah, of course, you know, like, oh, I've been talking to this forever. And then 
and of course you know didn't say like oh we're dating it's very serious all this kind of stuff right um, but no my my partners and at the time um their grandmother also lived with them and, and she has since passed away but the grandmother so it was I moved into a home with my partner uh, their mom and their grandma and they were both extremely like just kind accommodating um, grandma didn't really know much about witnesses nor did she really care about any any religion or anything in general didn't really ask anything um, the the my mother-in-law um, who has since like come around a lot um, like she went from being like very no exceptions you can't be gay kind of thing to buying us an anniversary cake the year before we left um, mm. you know and stuff like that so she's come around a lot but she's never not been supportive of me as like she took me in as one of her kids immediately and um she knew it was a cult she knew it was a cult before i knew it was a cult <laughs> she knew it was a cult in that way of like a baptist doesn't like jehovah's witnesses a, they're a cult you know like she i think mm. she kind of hoped that i would you know come over and be a christian with her um, okay but to her credit when i was like no she didn't push anything um, like she was like, you're always welcome to come to church with me and you know, I'd like you to come if you'd like, but she was never like insistent or mean or anything like that. Yeah. As you should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was very understanding, um, incredibly supportive. Like she, so the first, when I moved, cause I was fading, there was a assembly and, you know, I had this whole story about, you know, the mom, my mother-in-law being a witness and, and my wife being um an unbaptized un, working toward being an unbaptized publisher and there was an assembly and my parents were very like when I first moved like checking in all the time to make sure I was doing what I was going to be doing have you gone to the hall and gotten your card switched so I did which was terrifying and the elder who switched my cards absolutely had my number I could see it in his eyes he's like oh and he told me he's like I have a I have a granddaughter about your age I'm gonna I'm going to make sure you guys get together. And I'm like, oh, oh no, you're not. <laughs> you're never going to hear from me again, sir. <laughs> you're never going to see me again. But my parents were like insistent. And I didn't know at this time, I don't, they probably would have been there if I had known that there were people who were still physically in, who would like mm -hmm. supply information to those of us who were out. To, um, Interesting. Forums and like, like, like on different websites and stuff, people would like get the program, get the information. Some people would record the whole assembly, so you knew what you could say to your to your family, uh, which is amazing. Um, I didn't know that existed at the time. So the mm -hmm. first year I was there, my mother-in-law, who was extremely anti, very understanding of witnesses, but like very anti the, the organization and everything not only drove me to Rome, Georgia to go to this assembly so I could get the program and like listen to 40 minutes of something so I had something I could tell my family. Wow. He went in with me so I didn't have to be there alone. Oh, that's um, adorable. And she didn't like ask. She just like mama bared it up and was like, yo, I got my I got my King James Bible. I'll beat him with it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I was very, very, I've had a lot of, of really hard things um, in my life, but I'm also very lucky in the family that I found um, through my partner. Um, yeah. Extremely supportive and not everybody has that. So I'm very 
thankful for that because it wasn't for them I have no idea I either would never have gotten out or I would be um, unable to support myself in any way if your dad hadn't you know crashed in through the don't ask don't tell policy (laughs) do you think how did you envision telling them I didn't really um I didn't really I always kind of hoped I guess that it would just we would just kind of ride that into the sunset (laughs) (laughs) um because like I knew my mom knew um my wife at the last visit my wife's like yeah uh she definitely knows and I'm like yeah she definitely knows never called us on it um so I I just kind of thought you know I never thought it would be my dad. I thought if anyone, it would be my mom that yeah. could look up on it. But it was my my dad. And um, I, I just thought, you know, I'll see them every few years. The next visit, I'll probably, you know, not make my partner come <laughs> because they've gone through enough. Um, and it'll just keep going on until, you know, because I guess, to be honest, I wanted, I know this is, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's like an emotional thing more than a logic thing. Um, Even though I shouldn't have to feel this way, I still wanted to spare them the pain, even Mm. though it's unfair that because I'm the one that's being mistreated and I'm, I'm very aware of that. I still really wanted to spare my, my abuela the pain of all of this. Um, we were very, very close. I mean, she basically raised me for the first 10 years of my life. Um, she, she'd call me Bambi because she said I had Bambi eyes and I'd call her bird because Bambi's first words are bird in the movie. (laughs) So like we're and like, you know, the last visit we had is for just very tender, just very close. We had a very close family unit on my mom's side of the family. Um, my abuela would just show up at our house at our house you know she lived 20 minutes away she would just show up with groceries and start cooking my dad hated that but i loved it um and like that was just what we did you know the go to her house cook dinner everyone had to go in the kitchen and help her cook um and it was you know just that really nice i miss that and i'll never not miss that and i knew she wasn't gonna i felt like my my abuela would never leave it because because her husband had died um because that was one of the one of the hardest but also one of the most beautiful things I've seen because I saw how much love they had for each other Mm -hmm. in, in his last moments and that was another thing that like you know um I don't know if you've had anyone on the podcast who's talked about like the whitewashing and like the the way your culture gets stripped away from you on the podcast yet but my 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 grandmother set up um, an alfranda of sorts for her husband when he passed. And when we walked in to her house after that, my dad made he like we walked in, and my dad was incensed. He was infuriated, and he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna you know, she can't have this this spiritistic. This is spiritistic. She can't have this." <laughs> I whipped around and I've never talked to my father so sternly in my life. And I was like, she just lost her husband. She can do whatever she wants. And this is her house, not your house. If you have a problem with it, you can wait in the car. Um, Amen. 
and he did <laughs> good um, goodbye you're ruining the vibes <laughs> but you know she had a place for him and um i i knew she would never leave because she needed to believe they would be together again in paradise yeah she needed that and so i was willing very very happily willing to just don't ask don't tell this until the very end and and let her think we were all going to be together in paradise um for my mom too like you know because she would have those talks with me which were unfair about how that was a big fear of hers you know yeah like that's the reason i got baptized was just the bullying have that fear um so i was totally okay with just making little edits um to things i was saying and even though that does take a toll on you. Um, Absolutely. I was okay with it if it meant that they could pass on thinking that we would just be in paradise together. That would, you know, bring them some comfort in their last moments. Um, but I did not get to make that decision, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. That's another thing uh, that my father made for me. Um, so, you know, that's not something that they get to do, but I just hope that they still have some kind of peace in their last moments and I'm sure that they do but I hope I hope you've had your kind of that feeling you get going to a funeral I don't want to say closure because there's no such thing but that thing that you get from going to a funeral I hope you got that on your own some way it took a while um it took a long while um but I, I kind of recently I've hit that point um the last what five-ish years have been rough um but I have in that there's been a lot of like looking back and thinking on things and a lot of um joy in a weird way mm -hmm. um and, and closure for lack of a better word so i have it took a while but i did get there i have i had been writing a book on all this actually before, oh awesome before all of this happened i and it was very different formatted very differently its first draft than what I have now okay. um, and because at first I, I was like oh I was so, when I found out about all like the activism and stuff I was like oh I just want to do something that can help people understand because there's not a lot of people I met so many people that didn't know anything about witnesses yeah thinking about other people and how isolating it is and I was like I just want something that can be like make people maybe understand what it's like and so they can be there for witnesses when they're leaving yeah um, so the first draft was very like almost the wikipedia dictionary type of this is what it is to be a witness <laughs> uh, and that is not what it is now now it, it's i hesitate to call it a memoir because it's really become um kind of something for my mom um but it's as much my story of queerness and the truth as it is for my is my mom's story yeah but i will through doing that, through through like the intention of doing that, um, I have found a lot of, of, of closure and, and, and joy when um, peace with my mom, which me at 18 and 25 um, and even like me at 28 never would have thought that that was something I would see saying at, at 32, but I have, I have found that. So there's, um, there's there's good in the after even though that's something that will follow me forever it's like a it's like your shadow like you can never escape it but I yeah can, I can learn to walk with it yeah it's a really good way of putting it 
Um, I do have one last question for you. What advice would you give to someone listening that is still physically in the cult right now? Um, physically and that wants to leave? Whether they're mentally questioning or they're already mentally out, but at this time they're still there for whatever personal reasons. Take your time and be gentle with yourself. Um, there is no right way or one way that you get out of it um, and what getting out of it looks like for you might be very different than what it looks like for me or anybody else on the podcast that's one thing I hope that anyone listening takes away from this is how um, where there is this this unifying like you know similar overlapping experiences there's a lot of uh, different experiences at the same time lots mm-hmm. of different circumstances so let yourself have those thoughts um, explore them with yourself do it safely make sure you're you know make sure you're doing it safely um, if you do decide you want to leave tr- try if at all possible to explore some avenues so you have a safe landing pad if you can um, if you if you have the opportunity to kind of uh, plan it out in some way you know maybe like move away from home if you're at home so you don't get kicked out that kind of thing um but it's okay it's okay to question it it doesn't have to be the end it can be the end if you want it to be but just don't be afraid to question it um and then just let whatever happens happen after that 